Good afternoon and welcome to today's Cornwall Insight podcast. Um, today we're going to be talking about liquefied natural gas. Um, to introduce ourselves for today, uh, my name is Sam Peake. I'm a senior analyst here in our assets and infrastructure team at Cornwall Insight. We're also joined by Joe. Hi, I'm Joe Kamesh. I'm a lean analyst here at Cornwall Insight. Today we're, we're really going to be looking to unpack um, the liquefied natural gas market. I think um, I, I, I think the catalyst for a lot of that discussion has really come about from the, the shortfall of, of Russian natural gas uh, reaching Europe this year um, and has really kind of put liquefied natural gas to the forefront um, as a supply of, uh, of gas to, to Europe. A lot of this um, starts really from uh, the Russianization of Ukraine, um, which has really changed the sort of landscape for uh, the gas um, supply um, sort of landscape here in Europe. Uh, which has now become, uh, which has obviously been for an extended period of time, been heavily um, dominated and met by Russian gas. Um, many countries having a quite significant foothold uh, from Russia. Uh, but now we seem to be flipping towards um, a lot more of that uh, demand being met by LNG. Yeah, and it's certainly something we saw in the, in the, the early parts of, of 2022, as, as Joe rightly pointed out, about the... Um, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, um, it was a, almost a snowball effect, really, of, of seeing those um, volumes of, of Russian gas or natural gas slowly start to um, be removed from the market and indeed removed from European gas, uh, gas supply as well. We then saw um, that, that kind of period of, of, of outages on, on different pipelines. We saw Nord Stream 1 um, go through a phase of, of maintenance works were actually ended up resulting in the pipeline being shut off in its entirety. You know, we now know Nord Stream 2 never actually made it off the ground. So um, we're really now in a situation, at least in my view, where Europe has to look at other means of procuring um, natural gas or alternative gas supply to to Russian, um, to Russian natural gas. And I think that's kind of fallen nicely in the lap of LNG, really. Yeah, I think we saw that really stem from a lot of the policy announcements that got made uh, from yeah. the, the EU, especially straight after the um, invasion of Ukraine. Um, obviously, a lot of the sort of policy announcements were sort of heavily sort of um, by, um, skewed towards um, the rollout of further renewables capacity. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, it takes a much more sort of longer period for us to sort of get towards those sort of uh, longer arching goals that we want to sort of get to. So especially in the sort of short to medium term, the role for, for, role for gas is going to be there. And, um, you know, with the need now to sort of move away from those supplies of Russian gas, um, of which has... You know, seems to be the case now and uh, has to be met by something else and LNG has really sort of become that that major source especially like you said throughout 2022. Yeah and I've actually you know reading some kind of some reports and material out in the in the market at the moment I know Shell have just released their LNG report for 2023 um, you know they've stated that LNG imports last year so for 2022 were up by about 60 percent so I think that's probably testament to the fact that how strongly Europe are looking to procure LNG. Um, we're also quite fortunate at the moment, um, at least in my view, that the kind of Chinese demand is is much lower than perhaps previous years. So historically, you know, a lot of the work that Joe and I do um, kind of looks at those comparing trends in, in different geographies. And I think historically, we as 
the UK and GB have had to compete, um, and indeed Europe have had to compete with those kind of Far East regions who have historically been prepared to pay a slightly higher premium for those volumes. Um, naturally, though, with that kind of demand falling away because of COVID restrictions and industry downturn in the area, the UK and, and Europe have been able to procure those volumes at a heightened level and in turn, you know, been able to kind of use LNG as what we always call like a supply side balancer. So um, keeping our gas uh, supply levels up at, at a level that's comparable with demand as we move through the kind of winter period. That's one of the major trends as to sort of why Europe was particularly quite fortunate last year uh, with what, obviously what was going on. I think um, there was obviously some real worst case scenarios in terms of um, where, you know, supply issues could have really gone to if we had really, you know, a cold winter, if Chinese demand was, you know, where it would typically usually be. Um, but definitely the market was helped by the fact that, you know, the lockdowns um, throughout China, the sort of plunge into, in terms of the demand from, from, from the, the Asian region more generally, um, really did sort of make Europe the beneficiary of a lot of that influx of, uh, of LNG, especially from America, for example, where um, I think you know, other reports have sort of shown um, US um, exports to China Q22 was around about sort of 50, just over sort of 50% of their their exports now throughout um, um, large periods of um, sort of months to date, that's been much down towards sort of 30 to 20%. So Europe's heavily sort of benefited of the fact that the demand over in Asia has been so low. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of brings us on nicely to the, to something that we look at quite closely, I think, is that kind of diversification of where we get our energy from. Um, you know, a lot of the work we do is kind of mapping out some of those um, or those historic trends that we often talk about. I think if you were to look at those, the broad spread of it would be Qatar has historically been our um have been the largest contributor to our kind of LNG flows mm. uh, throughout time, probably going all the way back to probably the early 2000s or at least kind of 2005, six onwards. Um, we're now seeing there in the last sort of three or four years, and um, even more so in the last kind of 12 months that that spread has changed quite significantly, hasn't it? So, um, you know, the, we're now seeing people like the US come to the fore in terms of their level of exports. We've also actually started to see um, players in South America come to the, to the fore as well. So um, places like Peru, for example, that are probably now looking at Europe as a more viable option to send their flows to Europe. Especially where prices are at the moment, yeah. Exactly. Um, and it's been, you know, kind of testament to that of, of the demand for energy, really. And there's players in the market or LNG exporters that are looking at the European market and seeing that the demand appetite is so high and how they could potentially play a role in kind of supporting that. Yeah, I think the the sort of the, the, the spread of where we've seen um, supply come from uh, for Europe has been vast and it's really been helped by just how high prices, especially on the sort of spot market, got and the influx yeah. of just um, the amount of cargoes that were sort of available throughout periods of time last year. Um, it will be interesting to see how that trend develops, especially now we've seen um, the, yeah, both gas prices start to trend lower. Um, also now it's filtered through to the sort of spots on LNG prices as well. Um, we'll be interested to sort of see how that develops. Um, I'm sure that'll be sort of largely sort of dictated also by what demand levels in Asia are like as well. Yeah, definitely. I think if, I mean, if we were to look sort of, albeit we are coming 
we have sort of left the, the meat of the winter season. Um, I think it'd be interesting to see what happens, you know, if, if Chinese demand was to, to kind of increase quite substantially in the next few months, you know, kind of at, at the end of the winter season. Um, you know, I think certainly, as I've said before, we've been pretty fortunate really that the mild weather has kind of helped alleviate a lot of the concerns that, you know, National Grid is the system operator had perhaps over the, over the winter period. Um, and LNG is, has been kind of a pivotal role in helping uh, helping to support that. So, um, yeah, I think the, the kind of upcoming winter period is going to be one that's really, or the, the remainder of the winter period is going to be something that's going to be interesting to look at, particularly if we start to see um, kind of Chinese demand come up, as historically, you know, we, we often talk about the fact that we've been competing with those geographies um, and in turn has bumped prices up higher. I know we actually saw back at the, um, in the, the kind of summer of last year, somewhat uniquely, I think that's when prices peaked at their all-time high. Um, I think the, the liquefied natural gas price or the spot Asian LNG price was around, was in excess of 500 pence a therm. Um, we're not there at the moment, so it's, it's fallen off quite strongly, yeah. but um, you know, the, it does show a level of volatility in the market that's still there um, as well. I think also one of the other things that may be beneficial for the European prices will be the fact that I think the fact that we've had such a, a mild winter, the fact that we had such a sort of influx of supply come in in the lead up to winter yeah. has meant that the, the storage levels, especially on, on the continent, um, are a lot higher than maybe first we expected, but also for just compared to sort of longer term averages. Um, it, I think the European Commission were sort of forecasting that we're expecting to sort of leave um, the winter season around about sort of fifty percent full. So that then puts us in, or, or Europe as, as collectively, in a better um, position. You know, for, for the preceding uh, winter period, where hopefully then it should mean that we have to, you know, to, to reach the sort of ninety uh, percent targets that I think have been mandated by the EU. To reach that level, should it take sort of less of a feat compared to where we were coming into say. Um, sort of previous uh, winter that we had where I think we saw um, storage levels around about 20% you know coming out so you know that should hopefully help uh, matters I think especially if like you say Asian demand does pick up yeah and I think one of the I perhaps think you know one, one of the concerns that's been shared you know across the market actually is it's great that that LNG is available and that the UK is able to procure it, you know, signing some longer term deals with the US, for example. There are some perhaps question marks over the level of infrastructure that's currently available to support that level of import. Um, we as the UK are, are quite fortunate that we have, you know, a handful of deep water ports where we can, um, you know, just based on our geographical uh, location, you know, we're, we're in Ireland, we're able to kind of import those volumes from from different areas of, of the coast so up in Milford Haven and the Isle of Grain and Kent and, and so forth so we as the UK are quite fortunate that we can actually have those volumes come straight to us you know they could be regasified sent through the national transmission system and then we can disperse those volumes as and where we see fit I think at least my my concern would perhaps be if LNG is going to be lent into more in the future and indeed, to supplement that shortfall of Russian gas, there's going to be going to need to be quite a significant amount of additional infrastructure to what we have now in Europe and perhaps at the UK to support that level of increased import. 
Um, I know there are some some talks about perhaps having um, or Germany kind of signing off on some new regasification terminals, which I think is a good thing. Um, you know, but we have seen actually last year where there were some examples of, of kind of bottlenecks. Um, if you can remember where yeah. we had, you know, kind of dozens of LNG tankers waiting offshore basically for a terminal that they that had the, the capacity for yeah, them to exactly come in. Um, so there are some challenges, I think, at least from an infrastructure point of view of procuring that volume of LNG. Yeah, I think that's, I think it's only I think that's only natural given the fact that the sort of sea change that we've seen in the last sort of sort of twelve months, the fact that there's been this significant pivot towards um, LNG, which then obviously, like you say, subsequently means the infrastructure that needs to be an investment that needs to be put in across Europe. I know we've seen a number of uh, floating LNG terminals in the likes of Greece and other sort of um, areas in that in that region as well um there's been two in germany that i think have just gone live as well um so but obviously more needs to be done especially if um if lng is going to have such a, a foothold in the sort of medium to long term anyway in terms of meeting that demand for gas um like you said if the level of investment is going to need to be quite significant and um, the pivot as well towards that, especially when a lot of these these countries are trying to sort of put further investment into sort of renewables as well, um, brings up certain sort of you know interesting sort of debates around sort of whether um, you know where should money be going. Yeah. But obviously, to meet that near term demand, I think I think that's 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 the way things are going to go. I think. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and and also I'd probably say we you know we're not really blessed with too many other options at the moment. Of course, when. You know, when you're trying to fill a hole of kind of 30, 40% of, of Russian natural gas that's, you know, just been taken away, there is going to be an element of a, a of a, you know, a notable transition period where, um, you know, the Europe and the UK are having to look at means to, to supplement that deficit. And I think LNG has been the, the kind of immediate solution. Um, I think it, you know, if the shortfall of Russian gas is something that's going to extend beyond you know in, in many years to come i can see lng being you know kind of that one of the main sources of, of gas in into europe and i think we might start to see the emergence of some more longer term deals like we've had with the us um kind of making some of those stronger links with those large exporters you know like the us and and perhaps qatar and those other places as well yeah i think um you know Equally, obviously, there's the sort of ge- geopolitical element that comes into it as well. Yeah. Obviously, I think in the in the sort of the preceding sort of months after the sort of Russian invasion, we saw the likes of um, Britain, the EU, and um, um, America as well go off to sort of various um, countries across the world, lots in sort of in mm-hmm. the Middle East, especially with regards to sort of um, securing deals for the likes of oil and, and and gas. So I think we can expect to see sort of sort of further sort of cementing of of those agreements especially in the sort of short to medium term anyway because like you said the d- diversification needed to sort of supplement that significant shortfall from russia um is is vast so i think that's that's only going to be really the sort of direction of travel is yeah and i i think the uk's probably been has managed to probably break away from russian ec- or energy exports slightly easier than perhaps the the eu i know the eu is still continuing to receive LNG from Russia, albeit at kind of relatively subdued levels to perhaps what we've seen historically kind of pre-Russian invasion of, of Ukraine. But I think those volumes are still coming into the EU, whereas I, I think the UK, in the UK's direct reliance on, on Russian um, 
at least natural gas and LNG exports already quite low. So that breakage was already quite, um, it was easier to, to, for us to manage perhaps than the, the EU that had um, you know, quite deep and embedded you know, multi-decade relationship with the with Russian um, with Russian natural gas exports. I think. Yeah, I think well, you you saw that with the likes of um, Nord Stream two. Yeah. You know, it was it was something a deal um, and an infrastructure project that was much maligned by certain sections of either other EU states or just other sort of actors and stakeholders, but was pressed ahead because of the, the sort of reliance on that sort of cheap supply for, for gas. But obviously. The landscape's changed now, and um, I think it's like you said, it's going to be considerably harder for um, um, those European countries to sort of completely break away. But I think I think we've seen over the last twelve months that um, I think the tactic of of maybe using natural resources as a sort of a sort of as a as a leader or influence from maybe Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe hasn't worked as much as maybe they expected. I yeah. think the, the likes of Europe and the EU have has actually managed to sort of um, pivot away from from their that reliance and the impacts of of it maybe a lot easier than quite a lot of actors in the space would have probably expected. Really, yeah, and I, I think as you rightly point out, Joe, I think that kind of scepticism around getting Nord Stream 2 off the floor anyway was already there. And I think actually the catalyst, you know, with kind of Russia deciding to invade Ukraine, I think that was probably the evidence that everyone that was, you know, not for Nord Stream 2 um, kind of going ahead was presented. So, um, you know, I I think it's worthwhile kind of mentioning that, um, you know, there was probably already some skepticism in the market of that increasing dependency on Russian uh, energy exports um, and I think you know it's probably shown in my view at least a level of adaptability to change in quite a short period of time um, you know the EU and, and, and um, its member states I think have done quite a good job of actually pivoting in quite a short period of time um, and I think it shows a, a kind of unity that I think you know a lot of those member states and, and indeed the UK as well have kind of um, been fairly flexible in terms of looking to to kind of transition away from Russian natural gas in a short period of time and indeed then heading into a winter period for the first time ever really without Russian natural gas um, albeit we've probably been quite fortunate to, um, you know with the with the mild winter really um, that we haven't seen that kind of drastic withdrawal from EU storage as perhaps could have been forecast in some certain you know prolonged cold weather scenarios but I think it has shown a level of adaptability uh, at least in my view. Yeah I think that's something that probably doesn't really get maybe enough credit in terms of um, the sort of politics in the background that was required for the sort of wider continent on in Europe to actually sort of collectively um, sort of pivot away I know obviously there were some exceptions with um, some of the countries further sort of east um, that will have a you know, particularly heavy reliance on on Russian Russian gas and those exemptions but were made but um, I think maybe there were expectations that there may be sort of splintering um, within sort of um, member states especially those more reliant on, on gas from Russia and you know with, against those who, with, with less or little to none so like you said I think the fact that we've made it through uh, the first year um, and not in a splintered state and actually probably more unified towards a, um, a goal of probably greater investment in the likes of LNG, 
uh, broaden it up to wider markets, but also the, the sort of longer term sort of um, investment and um, policy around you know, further investment in renewables um, so that probably it even cuts off that further reliance on sort of needing um, supplies from sort of further afield to, uh, to be able to actually properly have a greater um, security in your own generation. Um, that seems to be really coming back to the fore in terms of sort of the energy trilemma around about you know, um, security of supply as well. That seems to be really coming back into the fore now. Yeah, for sure. I think that probably brings us on nicely to perhaps what we think might be the case for, for you know, going forward into 2023. I mean, certainly my view, I think, would be that we're probably going to see a level of volatility and price continue. Um, I think, as we've mentioned, we've kind of teed up some of those influences, perhaps, that could, you know, that could change the course of um, the UK and Europe's relationship with LNG. Um, indeed, from a price point of view, you know, if we saw kind of Chinese demand rise again, you know, those competing factors could influence prices going forward. Um, equally, you know, if Chinese demand was to perhaps plateau and we saw this, um, you know, it stayed in the kind of present environment as we are now, I could sort of see um, some scenario where, you know, we might see some kind of volatility in price based on those factors. Um, I know at least from the start of this year, kind of out to present day, that LNG prices have been relatively flat they haven't been too volatile at the moment but i do think you know history kind of dictates it doesn't take too much of a of a of an event or it doesn't take too many events to really sh- you know for the price to kind of rocket up and then we're all talking again about how everyone's competing for for liquefied natural gas again but um yeah i think certainly my view would be that we're probably going to see prices um perhaps subdued in the first instance but maybe when those competing factors start to come and we might see the volatility in price continue. Yeah, and I think um, I think it'll be interesting to sort of see how that plays out, like, like you said, as and when um, that pickup in Asian demand does does occur, um, how volatile prices get. I think, like, like we sort of touched upon already, I think the fact that we're sort of leaving um, winter with a lot more sort of ample storage left in stocks does sort of bode well for the preceding winter yeah. uh, in terms of maybe having a less of a, a need or a reliance to sort of um, you know, start filling up from a, a, a quite significantly lower base. So hopefully they should maybe, maybe dampen down on some of the volatility that maybe filters through to the you know, the more sort of localised uh, gas, gas uh, markets here. Okay, that brings us to the end of, of today's podcast. We hope you found it useful. Um, you know, it's certainly something that Joe and I are really interested in and continue to do a lot of work in. If you're perhaps interested to learn more about the work we do, talking and analysing um, all things LNG, uh, do let us know. Um, our flagship pricing service, the MG Market Bulletin, covers this on a weekly basis. Um, so please get in contact with us and we'd be, we'd be happy to talk more.